Hello, and welcome to the Frontier Strategy Group podcast series. FSG is the leading emerging markets information and advisory services firm. We partner with business leaders at over 200 multinationals by providing them with research, analytical tools, and proprietary data that help power their emerging market business strategies. The focus of today's podcast is India 2025 Outlook and Scenarios. My name is Richard Leggett, and I'm the CEO of Frontier Strategy Group. I'm joined today by phone from FSG's Singapore office by Shashir Sinha, a member of FSG's Asia-Pacific research team. As a reminder, FSG's APAC research and all of our content is available via our portal at portal.frontierstrategygroup.com or via your FSG iPad application. Shashir, welcome. Thanks for having me, Rich. I'm really excited about our discussion today as we've spoken a lot about India's trajectory under Prime Minister Modi. But I think what's exciting about this discussion is we can now quantify the outlook and scenarios that may unfold over the next 10 years. I thought we could get started, as we often do, with a quick executive summary, as I think the headline views on India for the next decade are quite compelling. Could you share some of those with us? Yeah, sure, Rich. And the future for India is looking quite positive, as most of our clients would have heard from various media sources. I think what's worth pointing out is the work that we've done here in APAC, we're looking at an industry trajectory over the next 10 years, and we're seeing an interesting story where we believe India's best decade lies ahead of itself. So we've looked at growth in India ever since it's become an independent country, and we think the best 10-year growth that India is going to experience is going to be between 2015 and 2025. Now, when we get into the details of these numbers, which I don't want to for in the interest of time today, what you realize is that we expect this growth to come gradually in the first phase between 2015 and 2020, and then the country to really go into an accelerated pace between 2020 and 2025. Shashir, I know we don't want to get into the details of the numbers in this discussion, but at the same time, you just dangled a huge uh, carrot in front of us saying India is going to enter its best 10-year cycle in its history. So I think we, we've got to put a little bit of, of framing in terms of the, the numbers. And even if we just talk about GDP growth today and how you see that unfolding in the first phase and then in, into the second five-year phase. Sure, Rich. So at this point in time, we know India is growing in roughly around 5 to 5.5%. And over the last few years, it's seen some of its worst growth in a decade. What we're expecting going forward in the first phase between 2015 and 2020 is for India to have an annualized growth rate of around 7.3%. Now, this is quite an exciting number because while for India, this does not seem very high, we know when you compare this to the rest of the world, it's probably going to be one of the fastest growing large economies. We expect this number to go even higher. And in the next phase, which is between 2020 and 2025, India to grow at about 8.2% on an annualized basis. Uh, when you look at this full number for the 10-year basis, what you realize is that we expect India's growth to be around 7.7% on an annualized basis between 2015 and 2025. That's quite an acceleration, and, and I know that in the report, which we won't get into today's discussion, you also provide an upside and a, and a downside scenario, but both are highly attractive vis-a-vis the status quo. That's right. And, Rich, I understand that from many people's perspective, this might feel like an accelerated growth numbers, but you know, when you start looking at India's history and historical growth figures, what we're projecting here is not something that's going to be out of the ordinary. The last decade, which experienced quite a bit of slow growth as well, still saw India grow at about 7.6% between 2004 and 2014. So it's just about putting all these numbers into the right context and gives you a better idea of what to expect in the future. 
jump uh, into your time machine and fast forward into that future. Give us a sense of what India looks like in 2025 for a multinational. The India of 2025 is going to be, like I said, quite an exciting and a more pleasant place to do business. We expect the changes in taxation, either doing, either acquiring permits, uh, launch of a single window to you know, submit your documents for starting a business. To put India on par with where we see Thailand today in terms of ease of doing business, firstly. Quality of infrastructure, we expect that to improve quite substantially, with investments accounting for almost 40% of the country's GDP. We also expect it to become a lot more competitive in terms of exports. Uh, This is definitely going to impact a lot of our multinational clients who can potentially think about using India as an export market, not just for APAC consumption, but for global consumption. So we expect exports to account for another 40% of the country's GDP. Uh, we're also expecting social expenditure in India to grow up. India barely spends around 1% of GDP on healthcare. We expect this to go up to almost 3%. And we think manufacturing is going to improve. So manufacturing accounts for around 13 to 14% of GDP at the moment. We think this will go up to at least 17 to 20%, somewhere between 17 to 20% by 2025. So quite an exciting market by then and a lot more developed than it is today. In uh, the detailed research report, FSGs used a very unique methodology to create our longer-term forecasts for the country. Could you share with our listeners a summary of, of this approach and what makes it unique? Sure. So to put it very simply, we, we use something called the past and the peer performance, where we have analyzed the past performance of India and peers to determine the future growth expectations. Now, past performance is fairly self-explanatory. We've looked at India's growth over the last 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, and 30 years. Basically, when you start looking at these sort of averages, you get an idea of what the upper and the lower limits for the country uh, have been in the past. So it, it sort of helps you put benchmarks into place. But that was not good enough, and we wanted to make sure we take it a step forward and say, you know, what have its peers achieved? Because we don't want to just see what India has done. So what we did is we looked at a sample of 82 countries in the world which, whose GDP per capita has gone from being below $1,000 per capita back in 1960s and has jumped from sub-1,000 to over 1,000. 40 countries in the world went from being sub-$1,000 per capita to over $1,000 per capita in the last 50 years. Out of the 40, another 18 actually jumped from being sub-1,000 to going over $2,000 per capita. India has not yet achieved this. India achieved the $1,000 mark back in 2010 but it has yet to achieve the $2,000 mark. So what we felt naturally would be good peers to look at would be all these countries who positively made the jump from where India was and were in the same group as India many years ago and and now are much further ahead. Having said that, of the 18 countries, many of them are very small and we felt were not natural peers to India. And so of the 18 countries, there were three that we felt were large enough to be considered peers, and they were China, Thailand, and South Korea. And when I say large, I mean by population. So all of them have a population of at least 50 million or more. So China, Korea, and Thailand were our major peers to whom we compared India as well. It's interesting. For this base case scenario, which we talked about in the headlines to play out, uh, there are a number of fundamental changes that need to occur. And I think it's worth just kind of going down that list of changes and getting your perspective on, on those. Sure. And this is a good point where, you know, we can talk a little bit more about the methodology. So, you know, when we look at India's past and we look at the India's peers, there is there are a million places in which we can look at with regards to what did the peers do well and what did India do well in the past. But what we realize is that there's two key growth drivers in India. One is around investments, the other on consumption. 
So we compared India's past and performance of its peers based on these key growth drivers to really see what India can achieve in the future. With, it, with regards to investments, which account for about 35% of the GDP, we looked at infrastructure upgrades, uh, how are capital, inform, capital investments going to be performing over the decade, we looked at manufacturing sector reform. We know India has been trying for a long time to become more manufacturing focused, but it's not been able to do so. So we looked at how and what changes are needed there. We looked at ease of doing business. It's one of the most difficult markets to do business in. India ranked somewhere around 185 out of 189 countries with regards to getting permits for land. We also looked at foreign investments. We wanted to make sure that this export promotion being put on the forefront of the agenda for the government and tax reforms because that's a big annoyance for a lot of multinationals having to deal with multiple taxes in India. On the consumption side, which accounts for another 60% of the country's GDP, we wanted to make sure we look at the cost of reduction in, in the goods, which is make sure that the structural inflation in India is removed. Just like China, we also wanted to make sure we are assessing the urbanization rates in India. Uh, it's always a big driver of consumption for most countries. We also wanted to make sure we look at wealth creation, so how many people are actually moving out of non-productive farming jobs into pr more productive factory jobs. And finally, we wanted to look at public expenditure, which is, is the government actually consuming more and is it consuming the right things? Because we know that the last few governments have been consuming more, but just not of the right things, which is they're not really consuming social goods. They're spending a lot more on non-productive aspects of the economy. And does Modi have the ability to get all of these reforms through in a short enough window to allow all of this impact to play out in the next five to 10 years? We are forecasting that Modi government is going to be in power for at least the next 10 years for all of these reforms to go at the pace that they're going at. But what I'd like to point out is that if we look at the details of our growth figures, we're expecting a lot of the growth or the investment cycle to restart in the second leg, which is between 2020 and 2025. So even if the Modi government does not stay in power beyond 2019, uh, but is able to put into place a lot of these reforms, we think India is set for the right path because what India really needs is the investment cycle to restart. Uh, first, the government needs to put in the money to get a cycle going, but eventually it's going to be the private sector enthusiasm around you know, ease of doing business, better infrastructure, more manufacturing, which is going to lead to more investment and truly bring India to the level of uh, development that it sort of lost out over the last five years. So I would say it's going to take 10 years to really play out, but the government is going to play the key role in the first five years. The private sector is probably going to play a larger role in the next five years. Which begs the question, how is the government going to pay for all of this? That's a great question. And when you start looking at the details of the numbers, Rich, what we realize is that like I said, the government can only play a small part in this economy, even by 2025. We're not expecting government to be a key player. We think government expenditure is going to account for barely 12 to 13 percent of the country's GDP. It accounts currently for around 11 percent. So we're not expecting the government to be the key player in making the expenditures, but we're expecting the government to be the key player in bringing about the regulatory changes that are needed for the country to do better. Having said that, India has one of the lowest tax revenues in the world, and therefore government consumption is also one of the lowest in the world. We think with the launch of the goods and services tax, which is a GST, and improvement in collection of corporate taxes, changes to direct taxation, which is a taxes that normal people are getting taxed in the country, will allow the government to collect a little bit more revenues, which can allow for them to spend a little bit more on 
positive aspects of the economy like the infrastructure and healthcare and education. But I would like to emphasize that we're not expecting the government to become a key player all of a sudden. We just expect them to be the facilitator of this growth by putting into place the right policy. Shashir, I want you to put your MNC executive hat on for a moment and let's shift our discussion to the suggested actions that multinational executives should be taking. And I guess the first one is, given this change in trajectory in India, how should multinational executives that might be responsible either for an APAC portfolio or even a global portfolio rethink their portfolio allocation given this this shift? That's a great question, Rich. And it's the one that I would say is the, that should be the first on the list for all multinationals, which is addressing their investment allocation decisions. We think with this improved 10-year growth forecast, companies should be reevaluating their longer-term investment decisions. So firstly, looking at a global scale, looking at India in comparison to China, Russia, Brazil, South Africa, Indonesia. Uh, like I said earlier, well, 7% for India is not one of the highest numbers it's seen, but 7% on a global scale uh, of GDP growth is a very high number. In fact, even if you look at India's worst-case scenario figures uh, in the report, they still put India ahead of uh, some of these large markets and on par with uh, some of the, actually, ahead of all markets, I would say, uh, by 2020. So I would expect a lot more companies to not start thinking about the next investment dollar that was going to go into Brazil or Russia or China or Indonesia might be going into India, which naturally goes to the next point, which where should which which aspect of the economy are we going to be investing in? Is it for the growth in consumption or is it for the changes in the supply side issues? And I would say because both are gonna come over the next ten years, companies can can now start thinking about, especially those who have a setup in APAC, about how India could be a new place for sourcing parts and components for their final assembly in China, or maybe move all of their manufacturing altogether into India, because India is going to be not only growing quickly, but it's growing quickly because of this growth in infrastructure, growth in manufacturing, better labor laws, better land laws, and one of the cheapest labor in the world as well. So I would expect companies to restart rethinking their major investment decisions for over the next 10 years right now. Last question I have uh, as we're starting to bump up against time is what could go wrong? especially in terms of the top risks to this baseline scenario playing out? Our baseline expectations, Rich, for the next 10 years are subject to some risks, I would say. Uh, the first one and the most important one that I, I guess is on top of everyone's mind is the difficulty of passing reforms. A lot of the growth, like I said, is not dependent on any one party, be it the private sector or the public sector, to spend a lot more money. It, the necessity right now is for the difficult reforms to go through. What we need to see is the standardization of the indirect taxation, the GST. We need land acquisition rules. We need labor management regulations to start kicking in by 2016. If these don't go through by the end of 2016, then that's going to be a big red flag for a lot of our multinationals because in 2016, the the way the local uh, domestic politics work, the Modi government will have control both in the upper and the lower house. I would expect a lot more reforms to go through by 2016. But if those don't go through, then that's going to have a significant impact on our growth forecast for the next 10 years. Apart from that, if I was a multinational, I would also be looking at uh, how the new federalism is going to play out. So in our last report, we talked about how state governments are being given not only more funds, but are also being allowed to make their own decisions and being given more freedom. 
there is a chance that some of the states might go in a populist direction and start using the extra funds and extra power for just passing populist measures instead of being pro-growth and pro-development. So that could be a hindrance to growth as well. And the last one that's a bit of a risk factor to look out for, maybe not so much in the short run, but in the long run, would be oil price shocks. Now, we know as FSG, we're not expecting any oil price shocks in the medium to short run, but India is highly dependent on foreign fuel for all of its energy needs. Almost 75% of its crude oil, 25% of its coal, and uh, 35% of its natural gas is imported at the moment, and these numbers are only going to go higher. So any sort of shocks on that front can have a major impact on the domestic economy, both from a supply and from a demand side. Great. Um, Shashir, I want to thank you so much for uh, sharing these excellent insights. I, I strongly encourage our listeners to read the full report as we barely scratch the surface of this top-of-mind market for our global uh, client executives. As a reminder, you can speak with any member of the FSG research team at any time by scheduling time via your FSG client relationship director. You can also access all of our Asia-Pacific research and ever-expanding leading indicator data on our portal at portal.frontierstrategygroup.com. This concludes our podcast. Until next time, we wish you great outperformance across your emerging market portfolio. 